guys, welcome back to another episode of Biomass. We're in episode 251, glad you could join us. Um, we had a plan, and as you know in Biomass, our plan never goes according to plan. So a large chunk of the show is going to be me discussing with Jay and Livy their thoughts on The Division 2, because we got Jay to buy it. Well, we, we, we didn't get him to do it. He bought it on his own accord, just for the record. Um, but we did play with him uh, yesterday and kind of want to get his thoughts on the show. But Jay, unfortunately, could not make it this week. So we'll probably have to shelve that one for another time. That being said, we... Uh, but I'm we, here. But, but, but Bazell is here. So we, we have a few topics, but it's going to be probably a pretty, pretty quick show unless something kind of uh, pops up. So let's start with some introductions, starting at the top of the list with Soraya Zell. I'm here. Don't you normally have uh, classes on Monday? Are you off today? Uh, today is officially, like, this is officially uh, spring break week, ah. um, which usually, it, like, in the past would, would bring up great excitement as I realize I have the week off. And uh, now spring break week means um, it takes me a week longer to get done with whatever class that I'm currently in, and I still have to go to work. So, <laughs> so spring Yay! break is much less exciting than it used to be. Uh, but but that's it. So yeah, I'm I'm here here today, and I I know for a fact that after this current run of classes, uh, this this current class I will I will be taking quote unquote online courses for quite a while after that so i should should be back mostly yeah spring break for for me and libby is yay we have to pay extra to have someone watch our kid because school's not in session <laughs> pretty much and they're like what break yeah it's like so you get to do everything you normally do but you have to pay more to have a kid so yeah that's it's it's not exactly exciting for us either <laughs> so kids are expensive that's that's uh, just yeah. it comes with comes yes, with the comes with the deal yeah, yeah. they and come with the uh, mental health days too <laughs> yeah, Olivia and I are playing hooky today because we, we both kind of woke up and agreed that we just couldn't deal with life today. And so we just said, yeah, we're sick. <laughs> Staying home. Um, so I, I, I am, I've been recharged for the day and I'm not uh, ready to claw my eyes out, which is usually a positive. But anyways, uh, Libby, you're up. Hello, I'm Libby. Uh, currently running away from Monday and... Uh... What were we doing? I still have Sekiro in my head, so yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a in a, in a hot minute here. But uh, so, um, I am Pokey Draven. I help host the show, and I play Sekiro and hate myself. Uh, so, like I said, we'll, we'll get that in a minute. But I did want to cover two quick things that I had said that I would mention last week. So, this last past weekend, there were two different fan fests. Um, one was CCP's Eve Amsterdam event. That is, uh, I think a lot of people missed it because they, they, they're kind of doing this whole world tour thing at CCP where they're, instead of like one giant fan fest in Iceland, they're kind of spanning like eight different events throughout the year um, all around the world to give people a better chance to get out and, uh, and attend the event. So Amsterdam was this weekend. I will not go into all the details regarding what was discussed for Eve Online. Obviously that was the primary focus. Um, but just for people, based off of what I know a lot of you listen to this show for, is probably things in relation to Project Nova. Uh, as far as I could tell, there was nothing mentioned at the event regarding Project Nova for Eve Amsterdam. So you can cross that one off on the calendar, and we will, I guess, wait for news at the next event or something. So we'll see. 
the other one was Square Enix had their Final Fantasy XIV. That's their online MMO game. Uh, they do three fan fests every year. Um, this is a big year because they have a new expansion coming, Shadowbringers, which is pretty exciting. Uh, this is the Tokyo Fan Fest. It's the third and final fan fest that they do. Um, and so, again, I won't get into deep into the details regarding what exactly uh, they talked about, but kind of the major takeaways are that they announced what the second job they'll be adding to the expansion is. That is the dancer job. To the surprise of nobody, uh, what was kind of surprising is that it is a ranged physical DPS class. People were expecting it to be a healer, which is, you know, there's there's a couple ways it could have gone, in my opinion, based off of their role in other Final Fantasy games. I would have expected a healer, but the ranged melee can can make sense in some regards. So that was a bit of a shock to some people, but that's, that's pretty cool. <clears throat> and uh, this is, again, the second job they're adding, along with the Gunbreaker, which is the tank that they're adding to the expansion. So Ken Bomb is no healer. I, I like healing in that game, but uh, we'll see if we get a healer in the next next expansion. They're also adding two new races. There's the Viera, which we already knew about, and they're also adding the Hrothgar, which are based off of the Ronso race from Final Fantasy X. So they're basically like giant man-tigers with horns, um, which is it was kind of a weird thing. I don't think anyone was expecting this necessarily, just because it was uh, kind of out of left field. Like We knew the Viera were coming, and that was kind of it made sense with where the story was going that that's what they'd be going with so cool um rothgar is, is something that no one really was was looking for at least that that i could tell the point of drama on this however is that unlike all the other races in the game the viera are um and by the way they're like bunny girls uh if you've played final fantasy tactics or um, final fantasy 12 you'll, you'll know what they look like um but they're kind of like long lanky, elvish-shaped bodies with bunny ears. Uh, they're female only in this game, um, and there's a lore reason behind that, but um, people were expecting to at least be able to, to play both male and female, and uh, inversely, the Hrothgar are a male-only uh, option. So if you wanted to do a, a male Viera or a female Hrothgar, um, you are out of luck, unfortunately. I personally don't care. I like my character the way it is. I wasn't planning on changing races anyways, but for some people, this is a is a pretty big point of, uh, of drama. So I don't quite share their level of, uh, of, uh, stress regarding this, but, uh, it's yeah. sexism. Yeah. I mean, Final Fantasy 11 did it. So there's that, but, uh, yeah, people, people really wanted to have both. So I get it. Um, developers have said like, Hey, we are taking your feedback into account. I could see them actually going and adding it in afterwards. They've they've done that before where they said, we're not going to do this. People like really, really wanted it, and they've gone back and, and, and added it. Uh, the only thing is that usually when you add something, that means you have to take away from something else just for you know resources and all that. So hopefully it doesn't affect uh, things too much if they go that direction, but uh, you know we'll see how it goes. I think it'll be cool to see some new races in the game, but yeah, there's a bit of drama surrounding that, and I'm, I'm not going to get into it, but... Uh, and I mean, yeah. the clothes are going to fit the same anyways, right? <laughs> <laughs> you can have a male bunny, but he's still going to be wearing a thong with heels. Yeah, I mean, like, the with the, with the Ronso, the Hrothgar, they're, they're, they're basically dust heavies. Like, there is a female version, but you can't really tell the difference because they're all, like, buff as shit. So, well, yeah. Nice. <laughs> like, well, it, that one's weird because you've got the Makoti, and those are already cat people. 
So to add just a, a cat person that lifts is a little strange, but I guess they wanted to do it. So it is what it is. Okay, so moving on to kind of my my major topic for the show, and, and like I said, it's going to be a bit of a, a bit of a shorter show, but I, I do kind of want to explain everything surrounding this. So it might be a bit of a, a bit of a talk. So uh, the game came out on Friday. I, I mentioned it, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, and this is a game by From Software, and they are the creators of Dark Souls, Demon Souls, and Bloodborne. I guarantee you, pretty much everyone who is remotely in tune with what games come out has at least heard of them tangentially. And that they are very, very hard. Um, I'm a huge fan of the series. I, I really, really like these games as horribly frustrating as they are, but because they're so hard, <laughs> they're very difficult. But um, I really like these games. This was a this is a big hype for me. Like I was really looking forward to this, very excited to get my hands on it. Um, Bloodborne is one of my all-time favorite games, and just more of that would be fantastic. So Sekiro Shadows Die Twice is basically a Japanese-themed Soulsborne game set in the post-Sengoku era of Japan. It's obviously kind of an alternate alternate world. It's got some supernatural stuff that obviously didn't exist, but it is that setting overall. Um, now, a lot of the discussion that I have heard about this game is that, oh, it's just Samurai Dark Souls, or it's just Bloodborne, you know, it's just Samurai Bloodborne, or whatever. Uh, just up front, I think that is grossly inaccurate, um, and I'll explain why. So, the core philosophy behind the game is the same as a Soulsborne game. Um, it's extremely unforgiving combat, there's a really harsh penalty for death, and there's a lot of emphasis on exploration and personal player skill. So, like, it's not drastically a completely different type of game you're still trudging around a big open world fighting enemies um getting absolutely your face kicked in the whole time that is all still there so that that at its core is still there um and, and that being said the combat is similar but it is notably different and i think that's that's kind of the important distinction because there is a mini boss that you fight fairly early in the game and i won't get into too many spoilers about it but I feel like that boss is designed to teach you if you're playing this game like Bloodborne or Dark Souls, you're going to have a bad time. Because I tried to play it like Bloodborne, because I, I like Bloodborne, I got, I got pretty good at it. I got absolutely destroyed by this guy. So, like, in, in Dark Souls, a lot of the combat is blocking and dodging. It's kind of a meme that, you know, dodge rolling is, is, is how you play Dark Souls. Um, and you kind of just wait the enemy out, you kind of turtle up, and then when you wait for an opening, you do some damage, you, you back out, and you try again. Um, Bloodborne was a little bit different. They, they, they really kind of wanted to change the formula behind the combat. And it was less about um, waiting for an opening and more about kind of just like being as aggressive as possible without overreaching too much and getting your ass kicked. So it was a lot of evading, a lot of pushing up. Um, they even rewarded you for doing damage by healing you slightly if you had recently taken damage. It, it, it was a very different experience, and that's actually why I like Bloodborne more than Dark Souls. Um, Sekiro, if you try to use those those mechanics in Sekiro, you're going to get your ass kicked. Like you, you really do not do well if you try to do that purely the same way that you've been doing it before. So you absolutely cannot play this game the same way you played those other games. Um and, and kind of the big thing is that, like, in, in other games, you, you block, you dodge, you roll. In Sekiro, there's just three major ways that you kind of mitigate damage. So the enemies have different types of attacks. There's sweeps, where they kind of do, like, a low swinging blow. 
and you have to jump over those. And, and for the record, this is the first Soulsborne game to have like a proper jump button, which is huge. Um, and there's also these unblockable attacks, and this little red symbol pops up that kind of shows you like, hey, you can't you can't stop this attack. You have to get out of the way. That's when you evade. Everything else is you have to deflect. And that basically means that there's a button you press and you have to time it perfectly that right when an attack is about to connect with you, you have to press this button. It kind of parries the attack and it, 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 it opens the enemy up. Um, what this means is that you can't just like spam attacks and kind of whittle the enemy down anymore because there, there are enemies that will literally block everything that you hit them with. And that's kind of where this posture system comes into play. And this is kind of the new addition to how the combat works. So the way posture works is you kind of think of it like almost as your like stability. And that if your posture bar fills up or if the enemy's posture bar fills up, it opens up that person for a death blow attack. And if they, if that opens up, you basically go in, and for most enemies, you can one kill, one hit kill them with it. So I mean, you can you can do damage to them, but really the ultimate goal is to break their posture and one shot them with this death blow attack. And the same thing can happen to you. So if your posture breaks, then you basically get one shot, and you're you're just done. Um, so what this means is that if you're just spamming attack and the enemy keeps like deflecting your blows, it's actually going to break your posture and they're going to one-shot you. So you can't just go crazy with it. Um, and what makes this so much more difficult is that most attacks in the game have to be deflected. There, there, I mean, like, so there are the, the ones you dodge, the ones you jump over, but most of them have to be deflected. And this basically means that you have to stand in the way of the attack and hope to God that you know when it's going to hit so you can parry it. And if you don't parry it, you're going to eat shit. And if you do parry it, what it does, it kind of it, it stops the attack, it kind of blocks them off, and it, it does, like, posture damage to them. Their posture bar fills up a little bit. So the goal is that you, you want to do damage to them, you want to kind of uh, increase their posture, and then when they attack, you need to kind of block it, parry it, and that also adds to breaking their posture. And so what happens is that as you're learning these enemy attacks, you kind of have to like decide in like a quarter of a second, do I need to jump, do I need to dodge, do I need to parry? And if you pick wrong, you're going to get hit um, because a lot of these attacks that you're supposed to parry, if you try to like sidestep, you get hit by them anyways. If you try to jump, you get hit by them anyways. So you can't cheese the system very well. Um, and that really drastically changes how you play this game and it makes it a very very steep learning curve like most of the ways these games open up is you do a short little section you kill a few weak enemies you get to a boss the boss kills you because you're supposed to die and that's how the story starts i literally died on the tutorial enemy because i screwed up my block and he just one shot me and i was like oh great so i went down there again try to get he one shot me again i'm like all right this is this is great. So it's it's you cannot take the skills you had in the previous games and transplant them into this game and be successful. And I think that's good because I think people over the years have gotten really good at Dark Souls and, and Bloodborne. And because of that, they can't make the games too much harder because they still want them approachable by new players, but it's hard to add challenge by taking the same system and just making it harder, you know? Um, so by changing the system in a very drastic way, it, it does kind of force you to, to get out of your comfort zone and, and try something different. So I really like that. Um, it's 
it's very rage inducing because like I said, you, it takes a long time to kind of get used to it. Um, and I can't use any of the muscle memory I had from the previous games to, to, to work to my advantage. So it's been, it's been stressful in, in, in the few episodes I've been, been recording for, for dungeon crawl. So that's, that's interesting. Um, and also you, you can't just like back off to like, you know, find an opening because the enemies will kind of like rest and their posture gauge will go down. Um, so you, you have to maintain pressure. You have to be aggressive, but not too aggressive. And you have to be passive, but not too passive. And it's, it's just kind of this dance that you have to do. Now, that being said, when you do successfully like deflect an attack, it's this awesome like metal on metal clang sound. You see them wheel back. Like it, it's super satisfying. And when you do that and their posture breaks and you go in for this really awesome death blow and just, you know, rip them to shreds, it's fantastic. Like it's a very rewarding system when you get it right. It's just, it's a long learning curve to get to that point. You're doing it consistently in a way that doesn't, you know, end up with you missing half your health. So, uh, combat's really good, like I said, but it's different. That's why I don't think it's accurate to say that this is just Samurai Dark Souls, because it, it, it does not feel that way. It's a very different type of combat, and that's that's important. Um, the other mechanic they have is Shinobi Tools. Um, part of the story is that your character loses their left arm, and they basically get this prosthetic arm, and they can fit different tools to the prosthetic arm. I've only found one so far. Um, it's basically a spring-loaded shuriken launcher. Um, it allows you to kind of shoot ranged attacks. But honestly, this kind of serves a purpose of being like support tools for the character. Your, your, your sword is your main weapon, your main damage dealer. But these can interrupt enemy attacks, they can break shields, they can distract them with like firecrackers. There's all kinds of tools you can equip to the, to the arm. And it, it kind of acts like it's like a support, a support utility sort of thing. Um, it feels a little bit like the firearms in Bloodborne. Because um, Bloodborne had a bunch of different firearms. They were mainly used to interrupt enemy attacks and kind of set them up for visceral attacks. But this this seems like they're more specialized tools that you can carry, I think, three at a time. And you can swap them in and out on the fly, which is nice. But I think a lot of the game is going to be knowing which tools to bring to which fight. Because, you know, there's specific things you're going to want to do that are going to make it easier for you. You know, like... The Shuriken Launcher says like it's good at like knocking down enemies like in midair, so they're jumping at you. You can shoot them with this thing to kind of interrupt their attack, um, that sort of thing. So you're, you're going to kind of want to find these tools and then learn how to use them and when to use them. So that that's pretty cool. Uh, the movement in this game is so much better than the other games. So like in in Dark Souls and in Demon Souls, even your character is clunky as hell. Like you are a walking tank and, and there were ways to kind of move a little bit quicker but for the most part your character is very slow and and almost clumsy in a way and there was no proper jump button if you wanted to jump you had to be sprinting and you could press the jump button and it would kind of do this like running jump a lot of the platforming in previous souls games like with any other system the platforming would be easy but in the souls game like the hardest part was just dealing with the controls like just trying to inch your way off the edge of a cliff to land on the platform below, but not too far because you can't really maneuver in midair or anything like that. Um, it was it had its own charm, but it was kind of frustrating at the same time because it didn't feel very good. Bloodborne got a lot better. Um, characters were much faster, more nimble, uh, but you still kind of had this, you know, kind of edging your way around corners and stuff so you don't fall. It was kind of a pain in the ass. Sekiro is all about movement so your prosthetic arm is also a grappling hook 
and there are like grapple points everywhere in the world. And it's very common to just be like zipping up to the top of trees or rooftops and, and moving around that way. You have a ton of vertical mobility and it's really, really easy to use. So it's kind of like this little white circle and if the circle turns green, that means you're within range to grapple to it. Just kind of look at it, press the button and, and you zip off to the spot. And you can do this on the ground, you can do it in midair, you can do it in the middle of combat. Um, there's a boss I'm on right now that has a grapple point on his head. So at certain points, you can actually like go up and over him. Uh, it's 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 really, really good, really intuitive. It looks awesome, feels really good. Um, it's it's like Spider-Man, pretty much. Uh, so that's, that's really good. I, I like the movement, and they did a really good job with that. So definitely props for that. Um, what it does allow you to do, however, is that you can actually bypass a lot of encounters, which... You don't necessarily want to always do because there is a level um, like experience gain. So killing enemies gets you experience and money, and, and we'll get to that in a second. But that's that's important. But sometimes if I if I die and I want to get back to the boss I was fighting, it lets you just kind of bypass everything if you want to to get to the boss to to do your thing. Because if you've died like twelve times in a row, the last thing you want to do is go through thirty trash mobs to get there, and that's often what you had to do in the previous games. And it was. It's part of the gameplay loop, but it just kind of made that death even a little more irritating because it's like, I gotta go churn through all these enemies that are no threat at all, but, you know, I, I've, I've got to go do it. Being able to go like over the rooftops is, it's so much better to be able just to bypass all that crap when, when I don't want to do it. Now, that being said, uh, there are big differences here with the RPG mechanics compared to previous games. So in, in Dark Souls and Bloodborne, a lot of it was... You're kind of this nameless character. You build your own character. You change the way they look. Um, and then you level up different stats. And you kind of build, make, make a build of, of stats and abilities like you'd expect like in any typical you know, Japanese RPG. A lot of that's actually been taken out of Sekiro. And that means that there's no individual stat leveling. Uh, your character's pre-made. He has a name, a voice. Um, it's a much more traditional kind of story-driven uh, experience um, in that regard. Uh, but there are ways to level up some things. You can level up your vitality, which gives you a bigger health bar, and you can level up your attack power. Um, and the primary way that you do this is that you get prayer beads. And prayer beads, once you get four of them, you can combine them together, call them heart containers, whatever you want, but it extends your, your life, basically. So you can skip combat, except that those prayer beads only come from mini-bosses. So in order to get stronger, you can't just farm trash mobs like you used to. If you want to get stronger, you actually have to fight these bosses, and, and you can choose not to if you want to. But skipping over a bunch of opportunities to level up your health and attack power is going to probably be very detrimental in the long run. So you are encouraged to actually seek out these powerful enemies to get these drops, even though in doing so, you're probably going to be weaker because, you know, you... You have to you have to fight these these dangerous enemies and and dying is of course a, a bad thing. So we'll we'll get to the death thing in a second. But the removal of the RPG mechanics um, it, it does a number of things. So some people didn't like it because they really like kind of the, the building your own character. I totally get that. There are skill trees in this game, so you can level up you know certain skills with your experience points. Uh, but it's not like individual stat leveling like it used to be. Uh, but what this ultimately means is that before, in other games, if you were dying to the same boss like a million times, you could, in theory, just run around, farm a bunch of trash mobs, get 
you know, souls or blood echoes or whatever and level your character up just to get stronger and then go back in to fight the boss and use your now buffed up just raw stats to kind of help you win. You can't really do that in this game. Um, you can unlock some new abilities, but your stats don't really increase unless you're actually fighting the bosses. So the only way to actually be successful at this game is just to get better at the game. You can't brute force it with stats anymore. Some people may like that, some people may not. I, it, it's frustrating because there's no escape from lack of skill, but at the same time it is rewarding when you do finally beat it and you know it was because I got better, not because my stats got better. And it, it's, it's kind of a large part of the appeal why I like you know Monster Hunter World. Is there is leveling in that sort of, but ultimately it comes down to your personal skill and just getting better at using the weapon. And I feel like it's kind of like this in this game as well, is that you have to just improve as a player if you want to be successful. Um, and that's, again, a major departure from the previous games. I like it, some don't, but it is interesting. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, so yeah, dying. Dying is, of course, a big part of any Soulsborne game. In the previous games, if you died... Basically, you, you would gather currency from killing enemies and bosses, and when you died, you drop all of that currency on the ground. And the only way to get it back is if you basically respawned, ran back to the spot where you died, and actually touched the spot that you died at, and then you get it all back. However, if you died on the way there, it would, be, it would disappear, it would be gone, there's no way to recover it, you're just done. <clears throat> which, is, uh, which is also rage-inducing. Sekiro is a little bit different. Um... In the sense that when you kill enemies, you get experience points, and when you die, you lose half of the experience you currently have accrued. There is no way to recover this whatsoever, at least as far as I can tell. The game pretty much says, once that's gone, it's gone. There's no running back to the spot where you died. Once you're dead, you're dead. Um, and you lose half of your experience points. The key thing here is that there is a mechanic called unseen aid and it's basically kind of this like rng mechanic that when you die there is a percent chance that you receive unseen aid and it basically allows you to negate that death penalty so if you die you'll come back it'll say unseen aid and you'll get to keep all the experience points you currently have um the thing is is that how death works in sekiro is that the name, Shadows Die Twice, is that basically you are able to respawn immediately or even after a short delay as soon as you die on the spot where you died. It will not reset the state of the world. I mean, it can be in the middle of a boss fight. The you know the boss kills you, turns around, starts walking away. You can stand up and go at him again. The problem with this, and this isn't... I won't explain the exact story reason behind it, but I'll, I'll explain the mechanic, is that when you start using that power repeatedly to resurrect rather than just dying and going back to, to a spawn point, it starts spreading a disease in the world. And so what will happen is you'll start infecting NPCs with this disease if you kind of abuse this power of resurrection. And I didn't realize that was what's going on, so I'm like throwing myself at this mini-boss over and over again. And just resurrecting and trying again and again. That's that's how it worked in the previous games. Is that yeah, you had that personal loss of I lost my currency, I lost my souls, whatever. Um, suddenly, I wake up in the starting area again, and the guy who you meet first, the first NPC you meet, is like coughing up blood, and you're like, what the hell? And this doctor is there, and she explains you're spreading this disease by using this power, and as you continue to use it, you're going to infect more and more people 
that you meet in the game world. So I don't really know what the long-term effect of this is going to be. All I know is that the more people you infect, the chances of receiving unseen aid decreases as you infect more and more people. So like there's kind of this long lasting res like punishment for death and then it's like, we'll give you kind of these freebie every once in a while, you won't be punished for it. But if you keep abusing this power, we're gonna take that away from you. So it's this, it's, I'm not sure it's permanent or what, if I can fix it, I, I have no idea. And it really makes you think twice, like, okay, I, I, I just got into this boss fight. I killed, like, I got, like, 10% of his health down. Do I really want to stand back up and spread this disease further to more NPCs? Or do I just want to die and just try again? Or, you know, oh, he's got only 10% of his health left. If I got back up and just did a few more hits, I could probably beat this guy. Is that worth it? Um and it's, it's tough because it's like, well, you know, sometimes you stand back up and you think you're going to kill him and you just, you know, boom, one shot, you're dead again. Uh, it's It really makes you think twice about how you're going to use this power. I mean, like, I felt terrible. Like, this guy saves your life and I come back and he's, like, dying because of me. And I'm like, Jesus, like, I don't want to do this to these characters. You know, I mean, they're, I, I have no idea how it's going to affect me, how it's going to affect them, what it's going to do to the game world. Um, it's a very emotional response to to the mechanics. So it, it really makes you stop and pause as you're laying on the ground going, do I want to resurrect or not? And I think it's it's fantastic. Like any game that's going to make me, you know, feel shitty about what I'm doing is usually a pretty good narrative. So um, I like that and I hate it at the same time because it's like, I'm like, okay, I'll just try one more time and I, I get back up and I die anyways. And then it's like, oh, so-and-so just got infected with this disease. You're like, God damn it. Like, it it wasn't even worth it because I didn't even kill the thing. You know, it was just, it's it's a really interesting way to do it. <clears throat> and I'm curious to see how that mechanic affects the world as I continue on. And, and hopefully I can find a cure for these people as I do it. I, I don't know. We'll have to see. But I really like that mechanic. It's, it's really interesting. So, I mean, like, overall, it's... It's really, really good. It's really punishing. It's really hard, and it's really frustrating. But it's it's really good. I like that they were able to take um, this game and not just make it Samurai Dark Souls. You know, it's it's a totally different game in the sense that it's the same philosophy behind the design, but it does not feel like it's just a a reskin of an existing game. And and I really appreciate that. And they've even said we don't want to make the same game multiple times. You know, that's that's not our goal. There's no, there's no point in that just to make the same game over and over again. I mean, there was even criticism with Dark Souls 1, 2, and 3 that the original creator didn't want to make Dark Souls 2 and 3 because he's like, it's kind of the same thing, and, and I don't want to do that. And that's why Bloodborne was so drastically different, um, and it's why Sekiro is so drastically different. So I, I really appreciate it. Um, the craftsmanship of the game is, is fantastic. It feels great. It's got some cool mechanics. Um I almost broke my controller earlier today playing it, but uh, you know it's it's been it's been fun as as much as uh, as much frustrating as it is, and you can tell it's a good game when you storm off, you walk away, you're pissed off, and half an hour later you're like oh, I kind of want to play some more of it, you know. <laughs> so I can hear Libby like rolling her eyes behind me because uh, <laughs> never because she's she, she's the one that has to sit here and listen to me swear at the TV. Um, and then edit out all of my profanity when I put together the Dungeon Crawl episode. So, 
Um, you'll get some nice montage of me getting my face kicked in by the chain ogre and then uh, and hopefully being successful at some point. But uh, overall, Sekiro is fantastic. <clears throat> All the reviews are absolutely true and accurate. It is like a solid, like from what I've seen, like a 9 out of 10 right now. Um, really, really like the game. So it's, it's a lot of fun. And uh, if you are at all a fan of Soulsborne games, definitely worth your time. If you are easily frustrated and don't like failing in games, definitely do not play this game because you will hate it. Um, you, you will fail a lot and it's going to take a long time for you to get better at it. So uh, that's kind of my hot take on it. Um, once I get through the whole thing, I'll probably give kind of a final review on it, but that will probably take a while because these games are usually very long, if only because you die a lot and spend a lot of time fighting the same stuff over and over again. So that's my thought on Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. Great game. Uh, definitely worth a shot if you like that style of game. And uh, yeah. So that's kind of all we had today because, uh, like I said, we were going to talk about The Division 2 with Jay. Uh, but he couldn't make it, so maybe next week we can we can touch on that. But uh, was there anything else you guys wanted to, to mention? I can throw a couple things out there. Sure, go for it. So uh, one thing I was just looking at while we were uh, while we were recording here is, uh, did you see that uh, they're doing an Iron Man VR game? <clears throat> yeah, it's the uh, fastest way to get motion sickness in like five seconds. Probably. I, I mean, I, I, I kind of am curious because, you know, they've kind of strayed away from first-person VR games overall because of the... Um, or, or, like uh, that involve movement because of the motion sickness issue or the immersion issue. Because I presume you're gonna stand still while your your character is flying around in in the air. Um, so I, I'm very curious how this will go because I would have to imagine that it at least played well for Marvel ex- Marvel folks for them to sign off on it. Um, because because Disney is is pretty strict about their brand so um that's that's kind of interesting to me and it is a playstation vr exclusive it looks like for for launch at least yeah there's there's no way i can play that like just trying to play like resident evil 7 on vr and that's a slow paced game like i got to the first save point and had to tear the headset off i was about to throw up like i am normally don't have motion sickness problems but like vr makes me really really sick if it's any sort of first person movement like it's rough all right, so so not a game for, for, not a game for, for dungeon me. crawl, not a my, my, not a dungeon crawl game. Yeah, no, I, I could do Beat Saber. That'd, that'd be my, fun. Like dun- dungeon vomit there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's I would. My brother might be able to handle it. He can do a lot more than I can, but I just ooh, I, I get it, sick really easily. It, it would entertain the YouTubers. I'm just saying. <laughs> Pokey Pukes, a YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then. Uh, the other question, I was, I was looking at the, the, the show notes, I'm, I'm a little behind on listening. Um, do you guys just like, when, when I'm not here, do you guys forget that sometimes we talk about movies? Um, I don't watch movies. Though I watched a, an anime movie recently, but I don't bring that weeb shit on here because Jay will mock me mercilessly. No as, movie well, has as, been worthy. as well he should. Um, so you didn't see Captain Marvel then? Nope. I did not, but if you want to talk about it, I do not mind spoilers. Uh, like it's it's not fun to do a spoiler filled discussion where where only one person has seen it okay Um, well you can at least give a a, a review uh, at least yeah no uh, so uh i would say it was a it was a solid movie um not not marvel's best by any means but but there was nothing nothing bad or or ho-hum about it it was a very very good and solid movie um there is uh 
Probably the, the, the most surprising thing is uh, that a cat gets more screen time in Captain Marvel than most of the cast shown in the trailers. <laughs> um, definitely more screen time than um, uh, than Agent Coulson. Um, and the cat is fantastic. Um, let's see. What else is interesting? Uh, There's lots of internet drama about the movie theoretically doing poorly. It did not. It did pretty darn well um i want to say what it make you have an idea I, I, i'm not sure but do, do like any marvel movies do poorly like they might review poorly but they always sell like always regardless of what it is yeah so um no it was good i enjoyed it um lots of effects shiny movie i'm looking at the sales numbers here uh i'm getting comics come on guys we're so prepared for this. Well, I mean, to be fair, this wasn't even on the notes. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I believe it was the best March opening ever. But, uh, you know, not top not top of, of overall, obviously. Okay, so domestic sales as of March 24th is $320 million. Which is respectful. That's- that's domestic, and then foreign, it's an additional $590 million. So yeah, it made, it made a lot of money. Like, it, it's That's by no means a flop at all. Um, sometimes this says what their budget was. It doesn't say on this page. But yeah, I mean, you're looking at it almost just shy of a billion dollars. It's not bad. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually, I, I am really curious, like, how expensive it is to do, like... Like, you think about all the stuff that you're used to seeing in a Marvel movie that's, like, super high noticeable effects. But then you realize that, like, so uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character, who does have a, a fairly significant amount of screen time. Um, why am I saying Samuel L. Jackson's character? I can I can just say Nick Fury. We all know. We all know who it is. <laughs> yeah, spoiler is one role ever. Nick Fury is um, in the game. Where's the movie? Uh, well, it's just like, so Agent Coulson's presence is very short, but um, Nick Fury's in a good part of the movie, and he's de-aged for like, I, I mean, I would have to think there's got to be 20 minutes or 30 minutes of screen time of de-aged um, Samuel L. Jackson, you know? That's got to be, that's got to be some money. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it is crazy, though, how well they've gotten it at doing those facial overlays, because I mean, like, got the, what other movie did they do that in? It's been a while, but like if this is somebody did like a comparison where they did like Samuel Jackson and Pulp Fiction compared to this movie, like with the de aging, like just to, because that movie was about was made in about the time where a lot of the setting takes place, and it, it looks really good. They did a really good job at matching him to what he used to look like. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. I think I, I'm trying to think of examples where they've used it. I mean, um, they've used it on Michael Douglas a couple times in the the Ant Man movies, and um, uh they they did oh, and then um, you jump over to Star Wars and they used it quite a bit for for the Star Wars movie. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Bridges and Tron Tron Legacy. Oh yeah, that that was that, the first that's the one that, that yeah, was the that, first one. Yeah, and that was like like if if you were looking for it, you can tell. But like at, at first glance, I was like, wow, how did they do that? Is it like a lookalike? Um, so that was that was it was pretty impressive for the first try at that. But overall, pretty good. Not as bad as everyone thought it would be. It, it, yeah, like when I when I mentioned that, I, I would say there's a there is a, a certain crowd of people, um, you know, the sort of people who spin up a controversy about every single one of these dang things. Sure. Um, 
but uh no it, it was a good movie i i enjoyed it um and uh yeah so you guys should watch it so that we can do spoilery reviews it will not actually this is news it will uh, not it, it be won't on be. netflix <laughs> it'll be um, somewhere is, is, so this is yeah, so this is uh, Captain Marvel is the first uh, movie that uh, Disney has confirmed will only be available via their their exclusive Disney Plus streaming service that's launching sometime this year. I'm really keen to see how well that does. Just that service in general, it, it, it'll do great. And and yeah. the reason the reason why is because Disney has the library to to do what nobody else can. I, I, I mean, I mean it's, it's a good sell for parents, like. You like, know that everything on there is going to be fine for the kids to watch. I wouldn't be shocked if Captain Marvel is a is like their launch, like that they that when they're ready to bring that to the streaming service, that's when they launch the whole whole thing. Um, that wouldn't shock me. Um, but the big one of the bigger announcements that they had made uh, a couple weeks ago um, was that they were effectively for the purposes of the streaming service they were getting rid of they were uh breaking open the the disney vault permanently so um you know how the disney vault works right oh yeah Um, yeah so you know every every seven years they make a or or five or seven years they make a movie and they uh you know sell a re-release of of aladdin or or whatever and then when they're done with it um like a, a year later they uh basically force all retailers to stop selling it um, they stop producing them, and uh, you can't find them anywhere except for like eBay for five times what it's worth for the next five years. Um, but the Disney service will have all of the titles that they put in the Disney Vault all the time. I mean, it only makes sense. I mean, before it was obviously meant to to create scarcity so they could get people to to buy, you know, the videos physically. But now it's like physical sales are so minimal now. It's like just you're better off getting people for a monthly fee. You'll, you'll probably make more money in the long run rather than trying to try to, you know, push them into to getting it out of the, the, the scarcity. But yeah, so they're, de- they're definitely going to have the library to support a service that, you know, they, they can pull as their contracts expire, they're going to pull all their, all their content out of every other network. Um, and it's going to be there, you know, oh, it'll be good. And the thing is that they've got enough variety of stuff now. That it's, it's it's good yeah, for even they, kids and adults, you know. I I think it was what last week they completed the the purchase of Fox officially now. Oh, did they? I missed that. Yes, that is that is complete. They now uh, they now own Deadpool and uh, probably will not put Deadpool on Disney Plus. Um, you don't think? I you know though honestly speaking, like they have so many properties that Disney owns that crosses into R-rated territory through various subsidiaries. I wouldn't be shocked if if they didn't eventually add it, but like what I think would would be done better is like and and this is something that I wish more um more sites did is let me say these these movies are okay and these are not and then have the the movies that are not okay behind an additional pin, you know? Well, I think uh I know that Amazon does that with their their streaming is that you can say pretty much like if it's over this rating, then it has to be behind a, a parental control lock. So I mean, it's, they've got options there. There are some, but they're kind of primitive, and there there are some, yeah, it could be there, better. The the other weird issue that you hit is like 
if you see what if you have a a, a big movie library and and you're you've it goes back you know several decades there are things that get through in a pg-13 movie or even a pg oh, movie yeah. like like um i think some of the early star trek movies are actually pg and it doesn't seem like they should be but they are you know because the the rating systems have just changed so much in terms of what they mean and what like it's it's not really a good good metric whereas like i would imagine that if disney were to tackle this and decide hey we're gonna we're gonna add some adult content disney would probably like perfectly manage that because it's their own titles and you would have a, a set of levers that would make a lot of sense regardless of when a piece of content was made no, and I think you're right because, especially with the company that's, that's that is as focused on their own image as Disney, that's that's going to be very important to them, and they'll probably put the actual time into to really curating everything and make sure that the tools are there to make sure that you know you don't have a bad image that Disney let my kid watch this questionable piece of content. No, nope, I think it'll be pretty good. Yeah, I'm, I'm. Do we do we have a date on that yet, or is it just this year sometime? I think it's still just at this year sometime. Gotcha. And any idea on pricing, or is that still probably kind of up in the air still? I don't recall. I don't know if they've announced it or not. I don't think so. Usually pricing is the last thing we talk about. Like, yeah. you know. For, they get you hyped up enough that they're like, you don't care about the pricing. Exactly. That's, that's, uh, I, I, I would, just in terms of that, the, the whole Stadia thing was com- comical from that standpoint. Like, all these different ways you can, you can play your games, but how do you pay for them? <laughs> the, the, the truth is is that parents will pay anything to keep their kids out of their own hair it's like 30 bucks a month the kid just stays and watches disney shows all day oh, no. done no problem <laughs> whatever it takes <laughs> oh and there was the uh final avengers trailer that came out wasn't there yeah maybe was, i think was, there was there wasn't was a that trailer. different it was just kind of like a couple extra scenes a teaser. Yeah. Is uh how critical is Captain Marvel gonna be to understand Endgame? Just that she um, exists or Cap Captain Marvel will probably play a significant part in Endgame. Um I, to give you an idea, so one of the the um the Captain Marvel related conspiracies that, that I heard was the claim that uh you know that maybe the studio execs were worried that Captain Marvel wouldn't do well, and maybe they had two different cuts of of Endgame that they had had come up with. One with her with a more a more uh, relaxed influence than the other one. But I mean, the the last Avengers movie ended with calling in Captain Marvel. So and and uh, I don't I don't think it should be a shock to you to to suggest that. Uh, one of the end credit scenes is spent on, you know, she gets the message. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say you probably should see Captain Marvel before. Ending. Okay. I, I still need to go see the Ant-Man movies too. Uh, you haven't, wait, you, plural. You haven't seen the first one. Even? No, I haven't. What's wrong with you? Many things. So, so the question is, Ellen, I know I'm a horrible person and should feel bad for being bad, but do I need to see both of them or is the first one good enough? He's, he's just holding his, like, push to talk button, just staring at the screen right now. He's like, let me make this response. I'm actually, I'm, actually star- I'm actually staring at the microphone. I love the Ant-Man movies is, is, the, is the thing. So uh, I do not want you to dodge an Ant-Man movie because they're fantastic. Um, 
the first one is one of my favorite Marvel movies. Um, and uh, the second one is is much more run of the mill for Marvel. But it's just like once the 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 gags of how they play with size and uh, of different things in, in the movie is just it's just something you have to see. And you're wrong for having not seen them already. I know. I'm, I'm so burnt out on superhero movies, man. I just want to see Endgame and be done with it for a while. And Zell's staring at the mic again. <laughs> you know, it's only like two months after Endgame when the new Spider-Man movie comes out. See, I like Tom Holland, though, so it doesn't count. But Tom Holland died! Remember? He I'm, died I'm, in the movie! How I'm, could he be? How could he have a sequel because he's already died? They obviously cloned him. Clearly. It's the only explanation. Which goes back to the crux of my whole problem with uh, uh, Infinity Wars. I'm like, I can't take any of these deaths seriously because we know that ha- at least one of them isn't isn't right, isn't true. So it's yeah, really that, more of a matter of who's going to stay dead. Than, that, than... that was my peeve is that I, I felt like they could they should have ensured that the two pe- the the two characters who already had movie sequels basically confirmed lived to ensure that that wouldn't wouldn't you know spoil what what the the end result of this is going to be yeah because like the whole spider-man you know quote-unquote dying at the end was like it would have been a pretty emotional moment except for the fact that i'm like but i know he's fine because he's got a movie so whatever (laughs) so whatever um anyways uh anything else before we wrap this one up yeah this is long enough i guess we've padded it out enough i mean i can just keep talking really slowly and wasting time i i I figured holding down the button and staring at my microphone would help, but then I realized you're going to cut, cut out all out. the silence, anyways. It's okay, Zell. We've had some some long some long episodes to make up for this one. That's true, and this will this shouldn't be our shortest, I think. No, I, I think I we've think... had a couple. We've we've gone down to like what uh, 40, 44, 45 minutes, yeah, maybe forty six. I think we'll be okay. All right, we'll just keep talking about how okay we're going to be. I like it. I like it. We we will be okay with this show. We are really going downhill here. Um, what what this is called is is Pokey is rummaging to find a shout out while we talk about how okay we are. No, no. <laughs> I, think I should be unprepared. That's all I should have done in in all these like two hundred and some odd episodes that Still I didn't looking. have a shout out is just like talk about nothing at all, just kind of passing the time to see if I could come up with something while I look through my RSS feeds or whatever else, trying to see if there's PC anything gamer. that deserves a shout-out. Yeah. Okay, we're going to do shout-outs, because I actually have one that I didn't find, but I just thought of, because it's, it's great. So, uh, my shout-out goes to a gun, a particular gun in the Division 2. And I forget the actual in-game name of it, because the, the name of the guns in Division are a little bit different than their real-world counterparts, but the real-world version is a 12 which is a drum fed full auto shotgun um it sounds like like a subwoofer going full auto and it it, it just basically i described it, it's it's basically the, the firearm equivalent of a slap chop like it just rips everything apart in front of you and it's the most satisfying gun to use and so i had this thing and i'm like this is the best gun ever and eventually my level was so high that it that particular role of it wasn't useful anymore and i kind of i kind of set it aside and then we're playing with Jay like two hours later. And somebody goes, and Jay's like, this gun's really fun to use. <laughs> I'm like, you get the AA-12? He's like, yeah, this thing's great. So shout out to the AA-12 in Division 2. It's an awesome gun, especially when you're stuck to the same cover as an enemy and you like poke around the corner and just unload 21 rounds into his chest. 
he, he died in four, but, you know, you, you gotta be sure. All right, Zell, you are up. I am delayed. Here. Yes, I've got possible. one. I've got good. one. Birdie yes. got one. I'm good. I've been waiting. So um, my shout out is actually, it's going to be a little confusing when I tell you what the name of the YouTube channel is, because the name of the YouTube channel is Dust. Have you heard of it? Uh, no, never heard of it. All right. So there's this YouTube channel uh, that's called Dust, and they do uh, sci-fi shorts that they post, and they post them like all the time. There's probably a couple of week, and they're like really well produced, like 10 to 20 minute little sci-fi shorts. And they're, they're, they're really interesting. I'll have to look that up. Sounds pretty cool. I will. I will. I will give you a link. Give, give me a link, and I'll put it in the in the notes. All right, uh, Libby, you are up. I don't have one. I stalled for so long. <laughs> Even I, I, I would. I would give week. a shout out to Jay because uh, we played with them in division a little bit the other day. Um, I would say a shout out for uh, welcome, and we hope this game goes well. There's no finger pointing. I, I, okay, again, for, for the record, for the record, we did not convince Jay in any shape or form that he should buy the game. We simply gave our opinions of it, and he made this choice on his own, his own free will and sound mind. So, it's his fault that he doesn't like it. Actually, he seems to like it. So, once we get him back on the show, we'll kind of go over his thoughts on it. I'm sure he'll have a lot to talk about, because he was much more of a skeptic than I was, and he actually was having a pretty good time with it. Okay, so that's it, guys. So, as always, if you want to be on the show, if you want us to cover a particular topic or play a particular game, if you see Dark Souls 3, no, uh, go to biomass.com, let us know, and we'll be more than happy to help you out. With that being said, have a good week, and we will see you next time. Great.